Hello, beautiful light bulb souls. This is Trisha Barker. Thank you so much for your attendance at the second annual online near-death experience summit. If you missed it this Sunday, there will be a replay link to purchase through the University of Heaven, and I will leave that link below. Also, thank you to everyone who has purchased my book, either through Audible or ebook or paperback. It means so much to hear from readers and to hear your journey with spirituality and with healing and with some of the issues that my book brings up in education and in other walks of life. But thank you so much for listening to this podcast. This is a remake of some of my YouTube videos that I've uploaded to the podcast format because I know that many people do enjoy not using data and listening to podcasts. So it's great to connect with you and may you be blessed. Hello, beautiful light-filled souls. My name is Trisha Barker, and I'm here with Michael Quinn, and he wrote a lovely book that I haven't read, but I just love the title called The Journey Home, Inspiring Passages from Near-Death Experiences to Comfort the Dying. And as a near-death experiencer, that is one of my most important roles, I think, when I talk with people is to ease their fears about dying. And so I want to jump in and talk about that and your research and your work, but the reason I'm interviewing you is you're going to be speaking in Austin coming up soon at the end of March, March 23rd through 25th at the Wisdom of the Near-Death Experience Symposium. Are you going to cover a lot of the information in this book? What I do is no one wants to, to listen to somebody just stand up and read. Okay? Yes. <laughs> so I, I sort of give a background as to how we got to the point of, in fact, I'll just for your listeners, I'll just hold up the book, book, okay, it's a very, I get into that specifically as to how it came to that format, but, but uh, we'll talk about how we got to the point of writing a book like this, and I think that's part of the story which mimics and echoes much of what you just said, how people relate to you as a near-death experiencer relative to that aspect of fear which many people have at that point where they're about to transition. And helping to eliminate that fear is just an enormously important thing to consider when a person is about to experience the most sacred moment of their life. Yes. In fact, in Austin, there was a young woman who video recorded my talk about my near-death experience. And I was sent back to be a teacher, and this woman was dying. And she mm -hmm. was like a couple of weeks away from death, and she viewed my testimony and wrote me the sweetest letter that it meant so much to her that a former teacher had gone through, you know, like all the things that I've gone through. And she really related to me. It made me feel so good. Like if I told my story just to her and helped right. her, then it's it's so worth it. Just think how many people have heard your story, Tricia, that you will never hear about, okay, that that yeah. it's creating a legacy for you, which is which is just majestic and magnificent. And so how did you get involved in interviewing near-death experiencers and, and figuring out this journey? Actually, we don't interview near-death oh. experiencers. To keep in mind that, well, let me start, okay, the, my wife and I have been hospice volunteers for about 18 years. Right. And I had read Dr. Moody's book, Life After Life, many, many years ago and loved it. And, and so what we would do is, for, and most of our patients were homebound patients, so we would make photocopies of interesting near-death experience passages and mm. share them with 
people who are terminally ill and their family members as a means to help them overcome some of the, you know, the fear that they had. And, and we found that it was very much appreciated. And then so we, we thought, well, gee, okay, we'll go online because we know somebody has written a book like this just for hospice patients and we'll buy those books and give them to our patients. And so we went online and couldn't find anything. And so we emailed a handful of uh, famous near-death experience researchers, including Dr. Phyllis Atwater. Hmm. And she got back to us, and her, her email response to us was very short and sweet. She said, the book you are looking for does not exist. That's why you must write it. <laughs> I love that. It was like a divine intervention. Well, okay, that's what we'll do then, and that's what we did. How beautiful. And, and what, are, what are some of the stories that, if you don't mind sharing, like, where you've seen people switch their whole attitude from one of fear to one of acceptance and awe about the process and, and really beauty. Well, what's interesting is that there's a, there's a saying that people usually die the way that they live. So it's not about some, some you know, hallelujah moment at the moment of death that, that, gee, now I understand or I didn't understand before. It's, it's much more subtle than that because everybody brings to the bedside or to their bedside and, and to their being the, the sum total of everything they've learned throughout their entire life, the religious beliefs, everything. And that's sort of the sum total of what they carry in there. But regardless, as you, as you know, I'm sure, regardless of our religious beliefs, that, that sometimes they are sufficient for carrying us over and sometimes they're not but it, almost with every case there's always that little element of doubt or fear or concern or i you know i just don't know what i'm going to experience kind of thing and that's why and that's why we share the passages now as you know there are tons of near-death experience books out there like yours angels in the operating room just fascinating books and but it wasn't our intention to, you know, give patients or their families a book with near-death experience stories, because particularly the terminally ill, they have limited att attention spans, and uh, so you, we wanted to, to to convey information that was just snippets or two or three sentences from near-death experience stories that highlighted basically five major areas, and those areas are, and these are chapters in the book having to do with, with uh, when you make that transition, you'll be met with incredible beauty and beings of light that are unimaginably beautiful. Secondly, these beings of light will convey to you the deepest unconditional love that you can possibly imagine, and you can't imagine it, okay? Number three, the complete absence of judgment yeah, isn't that nice <laughs> important and then also the the as you know people who t tend to come back from your death experiences they lose they lose all their fear of death okay and finally there's a chapter called forgiveness and goodbye in my hospice work and, and the hospice work that linda and i have done one thing that we have found that's so important is that is that as they are as they're approaching death and you're talking to them about that, that that it's so important that if they are holding any 
personal pain about things that they have done in their life which they feel are unforgivable, or if people have hurt them and they can't forgive those people, how incredibly important it is that that be resolved before they die. And so the last chapter of the book deals with the issue. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. It's so important. I love how you break that down into those five sections. And my book isn't actually out. It's a little bit different from a lot of near-death experience books because I'm a English professor and I love memoirs. So I wrote something that's along the lines of like wild or other memoirs where the near-death experience is just part of my personal journey as a human being. And since I came from a really abusive family, um, forgiveness was something that I had to continue learning even after the near-death experience and setting boundaries with what I can tolerate and what I can not tolerate from how people treat me and treated me and my family. So it, um, you know, that forgiveness was like whole and complete on the other side, but back in form and back in this body and back, you know, as me, I still had to journey through a whole lot and learn a lot. But one of my missions was to help all these kids mm -hmm. in public schools who came from broken families or, you know, neglectful families or, or painful situations, far more painful than mine. Mm -hmm. And that beginning, that healing process early on, I think allows for a much more easy life and then you know like just this and I'm at this place now where I just send love and light and complete love to anyone I've ever known you know that I may not know them personally or interact with them but I want nothing but the best you know for everyone and, and being in that state of, of uh, forgiveness while alive oh my god there's nothing better you know it makes that transition I'm sure it will make that transition so much easier so I'm a big fan of Carolyn Mays who is an intuitive healer and she says, forgiveness can be one of the hardest things to accomplish in your life. But when you do it, it will, it will be the most satisfying and uplifting thing you've ever done in your life. And yes. so it overshadows everything else if you can't forgive. Yes. And if you can, then you include so many more people into your world because you you feel everything that everyone has gone through, you know, to larger and smaller degrees, and they're included in your forgiveness. So that that oneness with everyone is such an amazing experience to embody, you know, while in form. But you're right. Let's let's go back to those five chapters. So do people in hospice, and I know that they do, sometimes begin to see the angels or talk to you about the beings that are already there? The actual, the actual first chapter of the book is called Nearing Death Awareness. That is what most hospice staff and volunteers are familiar with. It's, it's, it's what happens as that veil begins to come down between this world and that world. And that's what most of us, as particularly I've been doing it for 18 years, I've had a lot of those experiences of, 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 of patients who, well, let me just tell you a quick experience. It's a, it's a, one story is worth a thousand words or something like that. I was walking through the hospice unit one day a few years ago, and, and one of the nurses asked me if I would stop in to Alice's room because Alice was a little agitated and just talked to her. So I go into Alice's room and I stand on the left side of her bed, and there's a good reason for doing that. And I touched her hand and I introduced myself. And Alice gave me one of those looks that we've all had where someone is looking 
not at you, but through you? And she looked at me and said, do you know Jesus is standing behind you? Mm. I was, you know, for a second, I was a little, you know, taken aback. And I said, well, Alice, I, I believe Jesus is there, even though I can't see him. Would you please ask Jesus to bless me? And she shook her head like that. And I just sat with her until she fell asleep. And people say to me, well, well, do you really think she's, you know, Jesus was standing behind her? And my answer is, you're damn right I do. I said <laughs> at all that, that Jesus was standing, you know, behind me and making that connection with Alice. And and there's a lot of experiences like that. And, and you may be familiar with, with Dr. John Lerma. You familiar with Dr. John Lerma? No. He wrote a book called Into the Light. He was at one point the hospice director of it's either Houston or Dallas, which is one of the largest hospice programs in the state. And uh, he says in his introduction, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm a scientist, I'm a skeptic. But after a period of time, I just heard so many stories that, that, that I became a believer. In his book, Into the Light, each chapter in that book is a story of a patient who went through his hospice unit. I one of the best books I've ever read. I recommended it to our local hospice medical director. She bought a copy for all the staff people. It is just, it, yeah, you can't read that book without coming away with realizing that, that, that as we approach death, we are never alone. Even Lerma says it in, in his book that within 72 hours of, of somebody about to pass, that the angels and loved ones will be with them 24 seven. Yes. So all, Ultimately, there's no such thing as anyone ever dying alone. Yes. They're always there. But, yes. But he talks about, you know, people who, and the patients, as that veil comes down, they can see them, they, they talk to them. His first chapter is, is one of my favorite. It's a little nine-year-old boy with a brain tumor, and he's completely blind. And just incredible attitude, tells everybody about the angels that are in the room, where they are, what color they are all that. But he says to Dr. Lerma one day, he says, the angels told me something about you that I'm not allowed to tell you until a day or so before I die, and then I will tell you. And so it gets to the point where he gets a call that this little boy is about to die, and he goes into the room, and the little boy tells him what the angels told him. And, and Lerma just went, you know, there was absolutely no way that this little kid could have ever known anything about what the angels told him about. He doesn't say in the book what it was, but right. just an example of, of, of how the nearing death awareness thing is, again, it's, to me, it's a, it's, a, it's a divine gift. It says, okay, you know, before you make your transition, I will be with you, okay, and I will, I will. And if I could tell you another quick story. And it's, oh, yeah. Yeah, I was just I was just going to say you brought up a, a story for me, which was I was with my dad when he died, when he transitioned. And this was after my near death experience. And I felt the presence of his parents three days before he died. So they were there and they came to me in a dream and they said, we're going to be with him. Don't worry if you're not in the hospital room with him as he dies. We're already here. We're right. waiting. And that assurance just oh, it put me at so much ease. And I even knew probably like 15 minutes before he was going to die, I could sense his father just really close to him in that moment. That's not beautiful. But the, the story I was going to tell is that, that, is that uh, 
in the in the hospice program, I'm now involved more than home visits with another program that's called Compassion in Action. It was actually started by uh, think of his name now, but Brinkley. Who was it? Brinkley. Brinkley, right? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm familiar with that program. Yeah. Started it for veterans, but we started it, and the whole idea is it is that. Uh, no one dies alone, and so we're, I'm in a part of a group of, of volunteers that gets called 24/7 to be at the bedside of people who are actively dying, which means they're expected to die within 48 hours of that. And that's most of the work that I do now. And most of those, most of the people that we are with, are unresponsive. Uh, I didn't use the word unconscious on purpose. My my good friend Melinda Cress said to me a few weeks ago who who does similar work but she's also psychic like you she can she can she can not only communicate with patients who are unresponsive but actually write down what they're saying okay and what she is that is that they're they're unresponsive but not unconscious that very often the degree of consciousness that they that they're experiencing in the unresponsive state is actually even more heightened than typical 3d consciousness and so how important when you're in a room with them they to be aware of everything that's said keep everything uplifting turn the TV off all the all those types of things but 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 you know about five six years ago I was working with a healer from South Africa who taught me a technique called release of the soul it's a technique that you use with a terminally ill that helps them make their transition faster and smoother okay and and he taught me that technique and I'll be doing a workshop at in Austin next month specifically on that technique and teaching it to people and it's Wonderful. very very powerful technique it's 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 and I and I use it with the unresponsive patients and and sometimes they within a few minutes they'll they'll go because what tends to happen is and that gets into the story I'm about to tell is that and I'll tell the story right now okay a few weeks ago I've always done the release technique with with unresponsive patients but I was with a patient a few weeks ago who was still conscious and and so and, and the release technique involves the movement of light of activating the third eye of chakra work that kind of thing and the moving of light but but the most important part of of, of, of of that technique is your heart-to-heart communication with the person who was dying. Uh, I teach hospice volunteers, and I, one of the things I teach is how you do that, how you your heart can speak to that person's heart and how very, very real it is, and learn to trust that, that you have the ability to do that and that they're experiencing it. But this particular patient a few weeks ago was still conscious, beautiful blue eyes obviously her, her organ systems were failing and so I, I, I can do the release technique and move the light remotely without usually I'm standing over the patient and I do that but because she was conscious I, di- I didn't and then when I was done I knelt down next to her and I said to her I said I said I said Martha uh, do you know Jesus is in the room and his arms are open wide calling you home and I felt comfortable saying that because she had photos or pictures of Jesus on her bedstand so I knew that's where she was and and I said he's he's here to take you home your loved ones will 
who have already passed are here to take you home. And the angels are here to take you home. You have absolutely nothing to fear. If there's anything that, if there's anyone you need to forgive or to forgive yourself, now is the time to do it. And you will be sorely missed by, by everyone. She happened to be for 30 years the activities director in the nursing home where she was dying. And so that you touch thousands of people in your life, okay? And it's, it's time for you to, to go for your reward. And then when I was done saying that, I said, that said, Martha, do you understand what I just said? She nodded her head, closed her eyes, took a deep breath, and died. Okay. Mm. One of the most moving experiences I've ever had. Okay. Wow. Like to, to, how to, to, be, to be honored to be in a position with someone's most sacred moment and assist them with making that transition is just or beyond words. I just can't. The gratitude that I have for this kind of work is just enormous. Okay. I, anybody who's listening, often people will say, oh, you're a hospice volunteer, that's great. Well, I could never do that. And my answer <laughs> is that, that absolutely, it is not what a lot of people think it is. It's not that, it's not soft, it's not, you're not carrying a handkerchief all the time. I mean, you have right. to, to, to really interact with people at a, such a beautiful, perfect level. I encourage everybody to, to consider, you know, doing hospice work. Yes, what you talk about about the heart-to-heart communication is lovely, and a friend of mine knows that technique. She's told me about the technique that you're describing and how she has helped different family members in her family transition in that way. But um, what a great workshop to teach people to uh, to but learn, I, and you can learn it in a few hours. I would just add one little thing to that. Okay, regardless of whether or not you, that technique is used, everybody, everybody either has or will at some point in their life be present with a loved one who is dying. To me, it is so important. You would think it's obvious, but it's it's not that that the loved one would say to the one who's dying, it's time to go. You've suffered. We love you. You know, that type. Too often, loved ones, they want to keep them. Okay. And they're going to get better or whatever and and in my experience once the loved ones say it's okay to go man they're out of here they don't they don't want to be here they're sick i mean they're they know they're loved and that veil's coming down they see who's there and they go so it's real important that that basically what i said to the a few minutes ago to the lady who was dying that you say something like that to the loved one whether they're the whether they're conscious or unresponsive on some level they will hear that and it's so important and you can do so much good by by conveying that to one who is dying yes yeah really good point i uh i want to come back to how you broke your book up into the five chapters or the five different sections because that is just so lovely so that non-judgment Mm-hmm. aspect is so amazing because once you're no longer I know that once I was no longer attached to this form why would I judge anything because everything that you know uh, becomes something that we judge is because we are who we are but the minute we leave this form behind and we see into the minds and consciousness of other people then we see how it all works together and how we're a greater one there's a greater oneness so what is it that people need to learn at, at the end or what do you think that that message from the near-death experience does to give people peace near the end of their lives 
let me give you another example. Last year, I was at the Austin conference and a lady came up to me and she said, I was here the year before 2016 and I've got your book and, and I read it and I took it home and I said to my husband, I think you'd really enjoy reading this. He said, I have absolutely no desire to read anything like that. Okay. <laughs> she came up to me last year and said, you don't remember me, but I was here last year and I got this book and, and uh, I took it home and I showed it to my husband. He wasn't interested. But she said, six months later, my husband came down with terminal cancer. And he remembered that I had offered to show him that book. And he's in the palliative care unit. He's, he's getting ready to go. And he asked his wife to read the book to him. And she said, and I was reading the book, and at one point I looked up and his eyes were closed, and I realized he had died. Wow. He had died while she was reading the book to him. And it was just, and it's those kinds of stories that, you know, it's just so uplifting. And it just makes, you know, it's funny because, you know, I've written three other books, okay. And, it's hard, you know. It's 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 uh, there's a book that I wrote that I want to mention later. It's called Whispers from the New Paradigm, and it, it has to do with near-death experiences that, that are beyond what we talk about in the journey home. As you know, there's a whole bunch of other kind of experiences that we felt were not appropriate for someone who was approaching death. We want everything to be uplifting. Talk about the lights, the being, non-judgment. You know, and the forgiveness and all of that, and that's and that's and that was what's what's most important. And and, uh, and I forgot what I was why about. I did just want to say, like in in response to that story that you told, I could feel the peace that he must have felt in hearing your story it, read aloud to him. He just felt like, okay, I can go. I understand. So that I think, in a sense, she gave him that permission to go simply by reading it saying how difficult it was to, to, to write the other books is this it's like it flowed like one of the angels was standing behind us my, my, my wife is a co-author and it flowed like like it's it was simply I, I attribute it to divine intelligence it was like okay what next and I'll type in, and that's how it came together and it's because it's it is so beautifully simple What's beautiful about it is, as I said before, this isn't a book on long stories or scientific validation or all of the various things. It is written solely for someone who is dying. It's written in the second person as if we're sitting next mm. to them, talking to them. It's in 16-point type. It's filled with beautiful Hubble photographs, okay, which are inspired. Love that. Yeah, and, and, and uh, so it, and it's actually shaped like a child's storybook on purpose. So it's... It's more like a story than it is a, than a book, and it was written that way on purpose. To to and it's this it's its simplicity is its beauty. I feel that it must be very comforting to people, you know, just even. So we have that. a very good friend who we gave her a copy and she held it and she said to to my wife she said, "Ooh, it has a heartbeat," and that's what endorsements I think we've ever received is it has Aww. a heart. That's lovely. What you just said, it's, it's just, it's it's like Wayne Dyer. I don't know whether you're familiar with Dr. Wayne oh, yes, Dyer. Yes. <laughs> used to say, said, uh, uh, you can buy my books, but it's not necessary that you read them. Just carry them around with you and the energy in the books 
will be assimilated. I thought that yes. was cool. And some yeah, truth. there is truth to that. There's definitely truth to that. And as you were saying that you felt like divine intervention was coming through you as you were writing the book, I totally understand that. Okay. Maybe it's because of my experience and I had this specific mission to go into the classroom, but I swear there were moments when I felt the angels working through me to talk to particular students or just, you know, the group as a whole. And I, I honestly just opened up before classes, you know, I'd go to the bathroom and before teaching, I'm like, all right, if you want to work through me, go ahead and work through me. And, and so I would feel it sometimes. And I was aware of when these, these messages would come through me and teaching literature and poetry allows for you to talk about the human condition and choices that people make and and even spirituality to some degree i mean teaching whitman and emerson and thoreau and, and various writers you can certainly open up those spiritual lessons but yes so i totally believe that angels were working through as you as you wrote that book because the most important mission i think of many near-death experiencers is to comfort the dying but also those who are very much alive and afraid of death because before my near-death experience I was scared to death of death, you know, I wanted to, was very materialistic, wanted to live forever, you know, wanted, uh, just hated the thought of death, didn't realize it would be as beautiful as it was. So there are lots of people who just shun the topic. We say in the book, we actually quote Dr. Uh, no, Dr. Ritchie, I forget his first name, who says, the real significance of the near-death experience is coming back with the reality that the life that we have here on earth, whether we live another five days, five years, 50 years, must be lived with sacred intensity and purpose. And yes. that's the message is that life is so precious and it's so short, you need to remember how important it is that, 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 that you do everything you can to make the best use of the time that you have. And of course, as you know, and I've never had a near-death experience, but I know how so many of you folks, you come back and you, and your life changes dramatically, but you also tend to be more in service to others rather than to yourself. Yes. And how beautiful and important that is. Kindness to others matters so much. So I know that in any position of power, whatever that might be, you know, like even if you're a manager over other people, any kindness that you give to others just facilitates them on their journey and helps them lead a better life. So I was always aware that even if I gave a boring lecture, I was going to smile at my students and, you know, compliment them in some way. You know, that... Lecture. <laughs> yeah, so it, uh, I think that kindness matters so much. And one, another thing that I get letters about and that people are often concerned about, and maybe it's because of my journeys, but people don't understand why others are cruel to them or what they're supposed to do in response to cruelty in this world. And, you know, I haven't formulated my full answer on this, but I generally tell people that it isn't what other people do. It's how you respond and how you help others who have gone through similar things and how you really work to make this world a better place because yeah, it has its problems, but if you focus too much on the problem, then you're giving it too much attention instead of focusing on the love and everything that is possible. Right. But, um, but yeah, I would like, if you don't mind, I'm just curious, um, could you tell me a little bit more since your wife co-wrote that book about her and, and uh, what she does with your son and the types of talks that she gives? Well, 
Linda went with me to our first meeting in Austin in the symposium in 2016. And uh, in fact, our website has a, uh, a link to a video that's on YouTube of that presentation. Now, I tend to be more of an academic and I think that way and I write that way. Linda is all heart. We, 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 had a, we had a Skype interview with a, with a famous psychic a few weeks ago, and he just looked at her and said, all I see coming out of your heart is white light. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the way she is, okay? And she relates to people that way. People love her. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's you know how you, if you walk into a room and, and there's nobody in that room, but the person who lives there is, is, is one who is a, is a beautiful exponent of reality. You can feel it in the room, and that's what she gives off, okay? But, she, but it was interesting because Derek, our son, is 28 years old. And when he was conceived 28 years ago, it, it marked an incredible change in Linda's life. And by change, I mean all of a sudden these beings of light would show up, sort of the Star Trek, beam me up Scotty kind of lights. They would show up at any time that she was feeling sadness. She got the gift of hands-on healing. She got the gift of intuition, where she would know things that are going to happen and easy to read people. And and uh, the, the and then as soon as Derek was born, the lights would move from her to hang around him, and they they hung around where they could see him for three or four years. Now Derek is 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 Derek is one of the most remarkable people I have ever met. And he. If you were to sit and talk with him, for example, our, our hospice medical director, you know, she sat with Derek to have a reading because Derek does readings for a living. And, and she talked to him for three hours. She was so blown away that she had all her family members get appointments and come to just to talk to Derek. And he has that, he's not the kind of, of he hates the word psychic. He's, the, he's not the kind of reader where somebody says, well, should I get married or shouldn't I? <laughs> right. Okay, it's it's <laughs> it's teaching you how to based upon what he perceives to make those decisions yourself to become yes. our is so important. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. That we all have that ability to listen to our guts and our intuition and we just talk ourselves out of it, but we know and I think that that's the greatest gift that we can give others is just to empower them. So that's wonderful. But at the but at the conference in 2016, Linda was, you know, she talked about for example uh, when we go to a funeral, that that she'll be sitting there, and at some point during the funeral, she'll elbow me to tell me where the deceased is, what they look like, how large they are. Mm -hmm. uh, she says, for example, when you go to a funeral home, they often have the storyboard with pictures of the of the person who died. And she says, if the person who is deceased decides to go to the funeral home, that's where they hang out because they care. <laughs> people talk about them at the storyboard okay so yes. <laughs> she just has that ability and and it was funny because after the after after our presentation uh there were probably eight people that lined up to talk to linda and no one wanted to talk to me oh, <laughs> like, oh yeah i understand that that is just <laughs> who and what she is and derek is so much like that and amazing he has the gift of healing, and he's just—he is just a remarkable, remarkable young man. 
But it's a wonderful combination to have the academic side and to have that all heart combined in a book. So that's really special, I think, in many ways. That's right. So I would love to interview your wife and son at some point because I, I'm very much into all of that phenomenon and love talking about it and love discussing it. Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited to read your book and to give it to other people and to see you in Austin. And I hope that we have a great turnout there. I'm, I'm giving a workshop on Friday because, you know, most of it was set. But I'm also going to be interviewing people that I don't get to interview okay. on Skype while I'm there. So it should be a lot of fun. But is so. there anything you want to say to those who are listening who may be coming to the event or on the fence about coming to the event, what they might get out of it? What I would say, increasingly when you, there's various near-death experience symposia all over the country and, and, and a lot of books and a lot of people with near-death experiences, but more and more, as you know, the, the, the organizers are are interested certainly in hearing about people's near-death experiences, but they're more and more interested now in what impact has that had on your life and what impact can that have on other people's life who haven't had a near-death experience. And so there's, there's a larger totality kind of, of thing emerging from all this. How do we place the near-death experience kind of phenomena within the context of an individual's overall life? That is actually what I enjoy talking about the most. Me too. <laughs> so yes. Book that I held up before, it talks about, for example, people coming back and all of a sudden the reality of reincarnation is true. Okay, there's just no doubt about it. The reality that we live in a universe that's populated by billions of civilizations is a is a reality. And what does that mean, therefore? Because we become so immersed in our everyday lives and you know and the things that we do and we don't stop to, to take a look at a bigger picture and which says we are part of a of a much bigger picture but yet an important part of that picture and 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 I and I talk about how how we can get lost in the idea of you know for example when I use the I use the example. This is fun. Okay, here's here's a ball that my cat plays with. Okay, imagine for a second, Tricia, this is the universe. Okay, <laughs> and you are going to make a trip across the diameter of the universe to go from this side to the other side. Okay, you don't know how long it's going to take, but I'll tell you. Okay, it is going to take traveling at the speed of light in the spaceship. It'll take you to get to the through here to the other side. Will take you at the speed of light, which is six trillion miles a year. It will take you. 120,000 years. You find that amazing? Of course. <laughs> it is not true. Okay. <laughs> what I just said to you is it'll take 120,000 years for you to travel the diameter of the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy. One galaxy. How many galaxies are there? The latest estimate is two trillion. Carl, Carl Sagan said there may be as many, he thinks, a, a million sentient civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy alone. Now, take a million and multiply it times two trillion. You get, you get a sense of that there is, there is a dance going on there that is so, is so incredible. About a year ago, I don't know whether you're familiar with Matthew Kahn, but, but he said something which I thought was just so profound. He said, 
we are awakening from a reality where spirituality as a paradigm is used for problem solving to a new paradigm where spirituality is a means to explore the never-ending ecstasy of our own true divine nature. Love that. Beautiful. And it mirrors Perfect. the experience that you had, that, that we are literally divine beings. And it's so hard for us sometimes to, to accept that reality, but it's true. If, you know, just, you know, I, I sometimes I quote Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where God says, you, Tricia, I made in my image and likeness. I don't think your name's in the Bible, but the essence <laughs> is there. I made you in my image and likeness. This creator that, that made a universe which is so unimaginable and so majestic that, that rather than being small motes of dust floating in outer space, we are an integral part of that whole picture. And we live for an eternity. We dance on the stage of, of creation for an eternity. And so we have so much more to explore. And what a vista that presents. And, and so many near-death experience people like you come back with that sense of awe that I can't use words to explain what it is I experience. It is just beyond words. And th those are the kind of feelings I try to engender in people. One thing that fascinates me is the near-death experience is just a piece, but what people experience after death sure. fascinates me. So I've asked my dad a couple of questions because I started talking to him about five years ago, and I said, right. how is your life review different from my life review? I had a really quick one, and he, he showed me that his was very extensive, and he had to review all the different choices that he made. And then I felt him in this faraway place, and I said, what's going on? And he's like, I'm in universe school. And I laughed, <laughs> but I got the sense that he was understanding so much more than we could possibly comprehend that he was learning from the cosmos and from the universe and from God way more than his individual life or this human life, that it was so much more expansive as you're talking about. And so he felt very far away at that time, but he wanted to come back and he wants to come back and reincarnate. And so... I knew that that was part of his journey is to learn as much as possible and then return and do it differently. That's right. Very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So that we'll talk a little bit more about that book. How did you break that book up? The one that you. Well, it's, it's very different. It's, it's, I use near death experiences to validate various points that I make in the book and having to do certainly with reincarnation, certainly with the, with the size of the universe, there's a great chapter in there on that. And I talk a lot about religion and, and the whole idea of God and, and how our perception of God is, is our perception of God is like St. John of the Cross described his seminarians. He said, the seminarians, when they come in, they think like little, they think of God like little children think of God. They speak of God as little children do. And they, and they feel and they experience God as little children do. And it's, and it's his role to get them to the point where, where they understand not only the, the, the essence of their divinity, but how that divinity meshes and merges in union with the Creator, that there is indeed no separation. Like Meister Eckhart once said, the eye with which I perceive God is the same eye with which God perceives me. There's no difference. And exactly. That is, you know, and, I, and I just love that, and I talk about that. 
I also talk about a near-death experience, which, 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 which has to do with 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 people who go to the other side and and they and they they see what they perceive as as God, whether it's Jesus or a light being that's, that's God or or whatever. But and and I'm talking about the people who will say to that being at some point, "What's the best religion to practice on Earth?" And I'll never forget the, 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 what was written by one lady who said, I had a near-death experience, and I met Jesus, and I was talking to Jesus, and I said to Jesus, what's the best, what's the best religion to practice? She said, Jesus looked at me, and I looked in his eyes, and it was like looking into infinity. And he said to me with the most incredible, unconditional love and softness, he said, I don't care. All I care about is how you open your heart to be in service to my children. I just, you know, and it's, that, that's hard for some people to accept. I understand that we grow up in a certain modality that says this is the way things are. But if you just think of the universe that I just talked about a few minutes ago and how big it is and how many sentient civilizations there are, if God created us out of love, he created them out of love too. And so, we, to, to, to talk about a parochial religion, that this is the be-all and end-all of everything that God's all about, it's probably a little naive, okay? And, it's, and I, I'm not judging, and I understand that people's beliefs are precious to them, but I try in this other book to open the door a little bit that says, maybe there's a little bit more you could consider. Beautiful. And I will just connect with you, and then we'll have to end here. But I, many years later, at a cathedral outside of Santa Fe, I felt the presence of Jesus. And his presence was so innocent and beautiful. And I was, it was like I was his child. And he, he saw me in this childlike way and loved with this innocence. And I was suddenly i just thought oh okay so many churches have it wrong they really do you know that it's about just pure love and loving others with innocence without those barriers and if that's what you embody from jesus then you're on the right track right. and that that's what i felt when when i connected with him but but thank you so much your books sound I just, amazing uh, these things and and uh, i love talking to you and and it, it, i'm anxious to see you again in you know next month and uh by the way, I'm going to be co-presenting with Lisa Smart, who is the co oh, yeah. with with Dr. Raymond Moody of the Final Words Project. And she wrote a book called uh, Words at the Threshold, What We Are Saying as We're Nearing Death. And uh, she's just a fascinating person. And, and we'll be both speaking at the, you know, at, at the conference at the same time slot going back and forth. So she would just be wonderful to listen to. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Well, thank you again. And for everyone who is listening, I'll put the links to Michael's books and to the conference and to other bits of information below this video. But please subscribe to hear more videos like this one. And thank you for taking time with us today.